And while you're giving it up, would you give it up for Jesus? Because he really deserves all glory and honor. Wow, wow, wow. How y'all doing today? I'm excited to be here. And um, before we move on and really get into the message, I do just want to take a second. um, And honestly, I'm trying to slow down because this is a little bit of a surreal moment. Uh, Me and Mark, Mark Anthony were talking earlier, like, we dreamed of moments like this in the youth group 15 years ago. So it just feels kind of crazy. This feels like a surreal moment that we dreamed. We were a lot richer in those dreams though, weren't we? But that's, I don't know, we'll figure that out one day. Um, but I, I couldn't go forward without really taking a second and um, honoring just this church um, and especially Pastor Mark. Um, I think I was 13 years old and there's a really core memory, uh, shout out to Inside, uh, Inside Out, um, the core memories at Zaxby's, and then we went to Walmart, and somehow someone ran Pastor Mark down at Walmart, like someone always does when you're with Pastor Mark, and they needed something, and he just stopped everything. And I just remember in that moment, he taught me what a pastor was, he taught me what being a Christian was, that you are never in too big of a hurry to help someone. And so you guys are in great hands. So would you guys give it up for Pastor Mark and the way he leads you guys? And then it's kind of it's cool that, that, um, that you guys are talking about motion and the generosity because really my story is, is that at 13, I wanted to go to Forward Conference and someone scholarshiped me to go. And at Forward Conference is really where I saw for the first time that God was asking me to go into ministry. And so I'm excited that this week, y'all's generosity, there's no telling what 13 or 15 or 17 year old because of your generosity and your giving and the way you scholarship to them to go to Birmingham, they're about to have a moment that changes the whole trajectory of their life. And so um, it's just so cool to see all that God is doing. And you just never know, you really just never know with God what that dollar or that serving at Walmart or that little thing, you never know the impacts that it's gonna make. So for me and my family, I just wanna say thank you because you guys have been so generous to us and I've learned so much through this church and grown so much through this church. So why don't you guys give it up for yourselves, Christian Renewal Church and the impacts that you are making. And I do, I have to honor my wife too, Lauren. She's right there in the bright pink shirt. We've got our Barbie and Ken vibe going on today. And um, she has our little 10-week-old, she's 10 weeks old? Yeah, 10-week-old baby. And so I'm excited to have them here. We're honored to be here. So today we're going to look at um, a scripture that I think is really going to help us all today kind of renew our mind. I hear you guys are in a series really talking about renewal and what does it look like to renew your mind. And so if you want to jot down the scripture we're going to be coming out of, it's going to be Philippians 4, verse 8. Philippians 4, verse 8. And Paul is writing this scripture and there's kind of just a little bit of chaos going on in people's lives. So he's kind of closing out this book to to Philippi and he says this in verse eight. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. And so if you want to jot down, I have a message title for you today. If you want to jot down this message title, you can write down this title. Chew on that. 
chew on that. Why don't you look to your neighbor and say, chew on that. And look at the other person that you didn't talk to and say, you could use a little bit of church today. (laughs) But let's take a second and pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you that your presence is here right now, that you are renewing our minds, that you are purifying us to make us look more and more like you. And we just invite your spirit into our lives. Thank you, God, that in these next 30 minutes, we would, we would leave looking more like you, knowing you better, and loving you more. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. All right, um, I do come from Atlanta, and that is where me and my wife live, and we are a part of an amazing church. We are nine months old, 10 months old, 10 months old. We started last September. It is called Live Atlanta. And it's spelled L-I-I-V. We know how to spell. We didn't make a mistake. L-I-I-V. It stands for love, integrity, influence, and victory. And God has been doing a great work in Atlanta. In those 10 months, we have seen 231 people give their lives to Jesus and over 60 people baptized, which is really, really exciting. And one of the things I love about Atlanta, I love shopping. And Atlanta has the best shopping in the world. And um, with shopping, here's what I've determined in preparing for this message is that there are two types of shoppers in this world. And if you're not one of these two types of shoppers, I don't wanna hear from you. Don't come tell me you're not one of these two types of shoppers because I've determined there are only two types, okay? Only two types. So the first type is you just love to shop and you will just go to the mall. You might not even have money and you will just go to the mall and you will browse and you will look around and you'll buy some pretzel bites at Auntie Anne's and you'll get a refresher at Starbucks right after that and you just have a good time. And then there are shoppers who you know what you need and you're on mission. And if you get in my way while I am on mission to get this thing, we will have issues. That is the category I fall into. So I want to go to the mall and get the one thing I need. What happens with that though is when I am that way, if you are not a part of that mission to get that one thing I need from the mall, it could be a bad moment for you. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was going through the mall. I was shopping. I was going to get my shirt that I needed. I knew my one thing that I needed. So I am just on mission. And at the mall, there's this weird thing called kiosks, you know, in the middle of the mall, like the little kiosks. They confuse me because kiosks don't really make sense to me because has anyone ever got rich off a kiosk and thought like, this is my business strategy. Start a kiosk in a mall that might be dying and I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna make it. So kiosks are already like enemy number one when I'm going to get my thing at the mall. I just don't wanna look at them. I try to make sure I don't make eye contact. I've got my strategy. But the other day I'm walking through the mall and there was a nonprofit called the Environmental Conservatory Project. And I was like, that's crazy. What is that? And I made eye contact with the guy. And he yells at me. He said, sir, do you care about our environment? Now, I got to take a time out. Like, don't hold me against what's about to come out of my mouth. I made a mistake. Remember, I was on mission. I knew the one thing I needed. I was ready to go. So he asked me, do I care about the environment? I ain't got time to stop. And so I'm like, no, I do not. And I keep walking. And now I'm in the store and I think about that moment and how that guy is volunteering his time at a kiosk that's already a bad idea 
and now he's asked me if I care about our environment and I tell him no. And I have a little bit of guilt in my spirit. And so I'm shopping, I'm trying to make it happen. I, I, when I go to leave, he was on the bottom floor. I made sure I got in my car on the second floor, but I looked down at him and I just like, my heart felt bad for him in that moment. But I got home, I got my mission done, I got my thing. And the next day I was still thinking about this moment. And one of my friends came over to meet baby Magnolia. And we're hanging out and we're talking and he is very environmentally conscious. So I already have this guilt that I'm feeling from blowing this guy off at the kiosk. And now we're talking about our food and the grocery store. And he's telling me how I need to start to buy organic food. And now I'm, I'm cool. If I, was, if I had the money, I would buy organic food. I'm all on board with that. But money starts to be an issue, right? But he's telling me all about how I really need to like pay attention. He's like, your eggs, like, do you know, are they free range or were they in a cage? And I'm like, I don't know. They were an egg and they tasted good. I like them over easy, you know? And so then he's telling me about my vegetables. He's like, do you know what they spray? And I'm like, I really don't know, but I eat the vegetable cause like I want to be healthy. So he's going on and on. Now, what I love the most is steak. Does anyone else love a steak dinner? Like a steak dinner is my love language. So he finds that out. And this is where like he really doubles down. And now I'm really starting to get guilty. I already blew the guy off the, at the mall about the environment. Now he's coming at me about what am I eating and my choices. And I promise I'm going somewhere. Um, but he gets onto me about steak. And he goes, do you know what those cows eat? And I'm like, you know what? I don't know what those cows eat. Like that is not in my repertoire of knowledge. And he starts to tell me, well, do you know that those cows that you're eating they are chewing on artificial cud. And I'm like, nope, I didn't know that was artificial cud. And he starts to tell me, he's like, well, if you don't know this about cows, he's like, they take the cut, they eat, and they make cut out of it, and they swallow it, and then they bring it back up, and they chew on it some more. And then they swallow it, bring it back up. This is really gross, right? And then they chew on it some more. And he's like, and now that's okay for the organic cows because they're eating a natural diet. But the cows you're eating, it's artificial, like it's not good cud. I'm like, all right, so what does that mean? He's like, well, really what you got to start to figure out is when you're eating an animal, what are they chewing on? Because what they chew on goes inside of them. And what goes inside of them becomes their reality. And what becomes their reality is now how they present themselves to the world and how I get my steak, right? And I felt really guilty in that moment. And then I started to think about that verse and what Paul was saying. He's saying, whatever is true, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is honorable, meditate on these things. And he's telling us right now through that verse as a church, he's saying, hey, what you chew on is going to become who you are and who you become is what's going to be presented to the world around you. And what you present to the world around you is going to affect how the world starts to work. But it all started with the diet of your thoughts. And what are you chewing on? So today, really the idea is, is like, what are we chewing on? Like, what are the things that are in our diet, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, that are creating inside of us who we are, that then becomes our reality that the world gets to experience all around us? We got to chew on that. We got to figure out, like, what are we chewing on? And I think there are a couple of traps that we fall into in our diet, like, throughout the day. The first thing, we kind of make God 
a Santa God. Santa God. And what I mean by that is with, when we make a Santa God, we have a lot of needs. And we start to view God as our need meter and kind of nothing else. Like, I don't know if, you're, if you've ever been, I've, I've found myself in this where like, hey God, I need something, I need you. So like, could you give me this thing because this bill is coming up and I'm really stressed out about this bill. So if you could fix this bill, then like do your magic trick, come be Santa, come down the chimney, take care of me, and then I'll be ready to follow you. Like I've turned him into a Santa God. And when I, when, I turn, when, I, when I do that, now all I'm chewing on is like, I need this, I need this, I need this, me, 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 oh God, like come give me that thing, Santa God. And then the second thing that we can kind of trap ourselves and start to chew on, I think, is we turn God into the pocket God. The pocket God. And the pocket God is especially dangerous because the pocket God is, we take God out of our pocket when we want people to know we like rock with God, like we're close to God. But then when it's not convenient or when he doesn't want us to do that thing, we'll just like stick him in our pocket until we need him the next time again. And we can find like that's especially dangerous because in this day and age, like media is so, uh, is so easily accessed then now, like, media can really become our God. Or social media can become our God. Or that addiction on that computer can become our God. Or that drink that we maybe should, like, we know, like, man, when I had got out of the pocket, he was like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this. But, like, now I need something to mellow out to cope with what I'm going through. So, like, let me just put God in my pocket and I'll do this thing. Or I watch the news and it's like, hey God, like I know you're in like, you are the creator of heavens and earth that you created all this. But like, if you could just go in the pocket right now, I'm gonna watch this news and it's gonna determine my reality and it's gonna go inside of me and it's gonna transform how I see the world. But like, hey, I'm at church, so let me pull God out of my pocket. Like we turn him into a pocket God. And really there are all these different traps and they all really lead to this place where we turn God into the IV God. Like the IV God. Now, I know you guys are probably familiar with an IV that the IV medically is like the most important thing. If you end up in the emergency room, it doesn't matter what happened. Like no matter how extreme, one of the first things they're gonna do when you end up in the emergency room is they're gonna put, put you on an IV because they gotta start to get you fluid. And sometimes we start to chew on the wrong things and we start to think about so many of the wrong things that now we're so overwhelmed and so frozen and we don't know what to do or where to go. So we end up on the ER table and we're like, God, I've tried everything else. I've given everything else a shot. I kept you in the pocket. I called on you when I needed something, whatever your thing is. And now like I'm out of options. Like, would you come save me? Now, the, the best news about God is like he's so faithful and so loving that he doesn't hold that moment against us. And he goes, of course, I will come be your IV, God. Of course, I will come meet you right where you're at. Of course, I will supply all your needs. Of course, I will love you. But I'm here to say maybe, just maybe, we've turned him into the wrong thing and we've been chewing on the wrong things and we've been meditating on the wrong things. And there's a better way that doesn't lead us to needing an IV on the emergency room table. Like what if there was a better way? And for me, um, 
if I could be honest, I found myself on the ER table just about a year ago. And we had, you know, in Birmingham, we were in Birmingham for nine years. And honestly, like so much was so good. Um, when God told us to leave, we were like, are you sure about that? Like I had an amazing job. We were financially free. We were in a great spot. We had a great school for our son to go to. All these things were so great. And then God tells, uh, told us like, hey, why don't you push in all your chips, like all the stability you have and move to Atlanta where people say churches can't make it, where people don't want anything to do with God and go help start a church and be a missionary. Like don't even have a job, just go be a missionary and do it. And I was like, ah, I don't know about that, God. Like you, you might be missing the mark with this. But I, you know, I got through it. I surrendered. I got through it. We moved. And then we were helping build this church. We had nine months where we were just meeting as many people as we could, trying to meet people who would want to be a part of our church and who would want to make a difference and be a part. And all through this journey, we were also, as a family, going through an infertility journey where we had our son who was five years old and he was amazing, but we had been asking God for a baby. And we had had our challenges, we had had our obstacles and our difficulties. And in July of last year, in a brand new city, really with no church yet, we're just working to build a church and build a community. We sat across from a doctor who told us like, hey, this probably isn't the news you wanted to hear. Like those thousands of dollars you've spent to try to get pregnant up to this point, it was probably all for a waste. I'm sorry, but I don't think you'll ever have a baby. And the Santa Claus guy <laughs> felt like he was miles and miles away. And the pocket God, like, I just wanted to, like, where are you, God? Like, you deserve to be in the pocket right now. And I found myself on that table needing an IV from God saying, will you supply everything you said you, will you be good when it doesn't feel like you're good? And I had a choice with my thoughts. Like, am I going to chew on whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is noble? Am I going to chew on these things or am I gonna chew on the reality that the doctor's in the natural seat? Am I gonna chew on those things or am I gonna go to God and chew on his things? And I don't know where you're at today, but I would venture to guess in a room this size that there are real situations you're going to. You could have just lost your job and that bill is still staring you in the face. You could have that thing that you've been praying for for years and years and years. You could have that difficulty where you're wondering like, will he come through? You could have that wayward child that's wandered off and it just feels like they've been so far gone and none of these gods have met you up to this point. And it can just become the only thing that you're chewing on, the reality that's right inside of our face. And Paul knew this, so that's why he says in that theme verse, that's why he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good of, of good report, meditate on these things. We've got to chew on that, not the reality of our situations. Because the reality of our situations are always going to be bleak because we're in a sinful and fallen world and we're always gonna have this choice. What am I going to chew on? Where am I going to go? What is the next thing that I need to run to? Like what is going to define my thoughts 
and what I chew on and what I let my mind be meditating on because what I chew on goes inside of me. What goes inside of me will create who I am and what I become is what the world around us is going to feel. But the best news ever is that Jesus came to the world and this is what he says in John 6, 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, when he says this in John 6, there's this group of people that are all around Jesus in John 6. When he says this statement, I am the bread of life, he is declaring, I am the thing that will sustain you. Like, I am it for you. And there were these group of people around him right then that were religious. And they had been obeying the law. They'd been following all the right steps. They'd been doing all the right things. And now Jesus comes and he says, hey, 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 like I know you've been doing all the things you think are right. You've been meditating on the law. You've been chewed on this, but here I am, Jesus. And I'm saying, you can't work hard enough. You can't think hard enough. You can't even always pray hard enough. Like the only thing that will sustain you and keep you alive and give you what you need is me. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, what's crazy is if you look at the stage in this moment of Jesus's ministry, they were sitting in a room around a table. And in those days, tables looked a little bit different than how they do now because we live in a fast food society. We just go through drive-through, we get what we want. And sometimes that's how we've started to create this worldview of God where he can just be Santa, he can just be an IV, like he can just be whatever I need him to be because we're just used to like, I get what I get when I want it. Why? I go to the mall and I have the one thing I need and I just go instantly and get it. But in this moment, Jesus is saying, hey, I am the bread of life and I will sustain you. But in that moment, they were actually sitting at a table. And in that moment, it might be a little bit before they get their next meal. They might need Jesus to do a miracle for their next meal where he multiplies loaves and fishes. Like, so this was really a revolutionary moment. And he was saying to them like, hey, you might need to slow down to chew on me and be sustained by me. So in those days, they actually, their tables weren't even like a table and a chair. A lot of times their table was just on the ground. And he was saying, hey, to be sustained by me, I am the bread of life. And at that table, what that would have meant was you would be sitting down in a chair or on the ground and your feet would be out in front of you. Now, if you know, if you're anything like me, once I'm on the ground, I'm not getting anywhere quick, right? Especially with a table over my feet. And Jesus is trying in this moment to let them know to be sustained by me, to live on the bread of life, it's gonna take holy surrender complete dedication to sit down at the feet of Jesus, to prop your feet up underneath the table, to lean back and wholly and completely say, Jesus is my source. Jesus is the thing I'm gonna chew on. Jesus is the thing that's gonna sustain me. Jesus is gonna be the thing that I lean on when nothing else is going right. Jesus is gonna be the name that gets me through that bad doctor's report. Jesus is gonna be the thing that meets me when everything else is going on. Jesus is going to be my bread of life and I'm going to chew on that. I'm gonna chew on that. 
So to do that, I think there are a couple of things that like to, to really get practical for us today. Like if we're gonna chew on the right things, if we're gonna look to Jesus to be our source, to be the thing that sustains us, if we're gonna look to Jesus to be the thing that we lean back on and enjoy, there are a few things that I think we can do that will really, really help us. The first thing that we can really chew on is we can chew on God's definition of your name. So if you're gonna write this point, like I would write down God's definition of Kevin, God's definition of Mark, God's definition of Peggy. Like you've gotta chew on like, what does God say about me? Because what I believe about me is gonna be what I chew on and think about and meditate on. And if I'm gonna chew on that, it's gonna be what I become. And if I become that, it's gonna be what the world around me experiences. So I've gotta know what is his definition about me. And I love this verse in 2 Peter 1, 2. It says, grace and peace be given to you more and more because you truly know God and Jesus our Lord. Like, what would it look like if when the bad report came at us, if when the bad thing happened in our life, when the, when the moment of frustration arose, what if we knew ourselves so well and how God sees us that when that thing happens, we didn't lean on what just happened to us. We just say, hey, man, this is gonna happen, but I know what God says about me. That's grace and that's peace because when you have grace and peace, grace will get you through any situation and peace will let you just float through it. Like, it's not me. It's Jesus. I know him. It's what he says about me. And there's this guy at uh, Live Atlanta. His name is Tyler. And he just started in the last 10 months following Jesus. And then about four months ago, he got water baptized. I think they have a picture of him that they're going to throw up. So that's Tyler standing there and they're baptizing his son, Tyler. And I love this moment because for Tyler, the dad, it was a moment where he knew that he was defining who he was and who his son was. Like we're going to lean in to Jesus and who he says we are. And this is what he said. This is actually like, this is what he told me why he got baptized. He said, I decided to get baptized because I knew for a fact that it would forge me into the man God has called me to be. I was so tired of doing it my way and getting the same results over and over again. I wanted to break the cycle. I wanted to break generational curses. I wanted to walk fully out of the darkness and into the light. This experience has changed me for the better. It was a moment for Tyler to step into, God has not called my family to generational curses. God has not said that I have to live in bondage. God has not said I have to be addicted to that thing. God has not said I need to run all around on him and come to him when I need an IV. God has said I am perfectly and wonderfully made. God has said I am saved, I am redeemed, and I can go through any challenge and any difficulty because he has said it about me. So here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna say what God says about us all together, all right? Are y'all ready? This is gonna be powerful because for some of you, this is gonna be the first time that you've actually agreed vocally out loud in public with who God says you are. So they're gonna put a little statement on the screen and we're gonna read this all together. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? All right. I believe that I am united to Jesus and all that is true about him is true about me. I am defined by God. I will chew on his love. I will chew on his holiness. I will chew on his forgiveness. I will chew on his righteousness. God's dwelling place is perfect. 
I know him and I am defined by him. And when we're defined by him, nothing can come against us. No weapon can be formed against us and prosper because we are defined by God. And he says it about you, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, no matter what challenge you're in, that's what God says about you. And nothing else can shake us and move us from that. The next thing we could chew on is we can chew on God's supernatural movement. God's supernatural movement. God's supernatural movement. Now this one is huge because it's so easy to chew so much on reality and the flesh. Like we are physical beings, like we are humans. But inside of us is a spirit and that spirit is like God. God is a spirit. That's how we are created in his image and his likeness because we have a spirit. Now, one day this body is going to go away and it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave. But our spirit will be with him forever, right? And it's so easy to chew on the reality that I'm a body and miss that when I'm going through that situation, I'm also supernatural, because I'm joined with God. He's a spirit and I'm a spirit. And I'm literally like my life in the natural, in the supernatural where God is literally melded together. It's literally coming together wherever you're at. Now I'm especially guilty of this, of not chewing on this. Like when I sat in that room across from a doctor who said, you will never have another baby. My first thought was not like, oh, well I'm supernatural. Like I got a supernatural God. And I started to chew on the reality, the pain of losing babies, the pain of spending money for nothing, the pain of wondering, like I just started to chew on it and missing that God has this divine power that he's working in and through us. And that's why Second Peter 1, 3, and 4 says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers like you can you can be joined together with divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is of this world because of sinful desires and I just wonder if sometimes God sees us chewing on the wrong thing and he's just thinking, doesn't the church know that I'm supernatural? Doesn't the church know that I've created the whole universe? I can meet their need. Like, why are they not chewing on whatever is true, whatever is noble? Because we are literally partakers in divine nature partakers of his power, partakers of his truth and of his love. And this can be so hard for us to, to, to experience. But I think the real power of the supernatural is that over a lifetime of prayer and reading our Bible and worship and coming to church and fellowshipping with a body of believers, we start to see the supernatural transformation of who we are. And it comes when we chew on and meditate on the right things, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is godly, and we just chew on it. So we gotta chew on like, when we are dedicated to him, we are literally becoming like him. Supernaturally being sanctified to look and breathe and be 
like God because he saved us, he redeemed us, he came down for us because he loves us and we could never do it in the natural. So we had to do something supernatural and send Jesus down from a cross to be the bread of life for us. And at the end of the day, what we get to chew on the most is we get to chew on the fact that God is it. God is it. Like, I don't want to make it too simple, but at the end of the day, God is it. The news will never be it. Work will never be it. The perfect relationship, it will never be it. Even God doing amazing things like restoring a marriage, it could never be it. a revelation just when you need it from God, when you're on that emergency room bed, getting an IV from him. It'll meet you for a moment, but it could never be it. The perfect house, the perfect law, the healing we need, all these things, no matter how great they are, they could never be it. God is it. And if we go back to that scripture in John 6, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever, believe, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So we can even see it like wandering around the promised land, they got manna. It wasn't it. And so in this, at this moment, around this table with Jesus in John 6, the Pharisees and the religious people are sitting there with him. And they hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life that sustains you. And some of these people that had seen Jesus do miracles, had seen him meet needs, seen him provide in supernatural ways, started to walk away from him and turn their back on the person who had bread that would last forever. So Jesus in this moment is like, I need, to, I need to find out, like, are Peter, James, and John, like, are my disciples, the ones who have really been living with me, are they going to leave me too? And so from that time, many disciples turned and no longer followed him. Jesus looked at the others and said, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And in this moment, Peter, James, John, these disciples who are sitting them fully and wholly, sitting back, trusting him, they draw a line in the sand that says, no matter what happens, where else could we go? If you met all our needs, it still wouldn't be enough because I need an eternity with you, God. And I wanna chew on that. That no matter what happens around me, good, bad, and ugly, I have an eternity with God. There's nowhere else I could go. And I get to chew on that. And as I chew on that, I become like him and I get to enjoy him more and more and more. 
And in the face of opposition, think about this, Peter, Simon Peter, in the face of opposition, when the crowd was doing everything else, he could have put God in his pocket and walked away too. But in the face of opposition, he said, there's nowhere else I could go. And I want to be that type of Christian in the face of opposition. I'm not going to put my trust in anything else. I'm not going to need anything else. At the end of the day, God is it, and I need him, and I'm going to chew on him, and I'm going to rely on him, and he's going to be my source, and he's going to create in me a clean heart. And as I chew on him, I'm going to keep looking more and more and more like him. As I surrender my life and my steps and my purpose, I'm going to look more and more and more like him. And I've told you all about my son. He's, he's six now. But I remember a couple of years ago, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this. Kids know absolutely nothing. Have y'all ever thought about this? Like they know nothing. Like they don't know how to go to the bathroom. Like they know nothing. You know what I'm saying? So you have to literally teach them everything. So one day I was teaching my son Linux about bubble gum. Now bubble gum is a very confusing thing for a three-year-old because a three-year-old Anything that goes in their mouth, they chew on it and they swallow it and that's it. So I gave Linux a piece of bubble gum. I forgot to train him because sometimes I forget like bubble gum. Obviously he knows to not swallow it, right? Because that's so obvious, but he doesn't. You got to teach him everything. So I give him some bubble gum. He's about three years old. I come back about 10 seconds later. I'm like, dude, where'd your bubble gum go? He's like, I swallowed it. I was like, why'd you, why'd you swallow it? You're not supposed to swallow it. He said, I, it's candy. I was like, no, you don't swallow your bubble gum. I was like, you just chew it. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you just, you just put it in your mouth, you just chew it. And when the flavor is gone, like, then you throw it away. Like, you don't swallow it. And he's like, okay, can I have another piece? I'm like, of course, Linux, you can have another piece of bubble gum. So I give him bubble gum and he chews it. I go off, I do something, I come back and he makes the most profound statement ever. He said, dad, I said, yeah, Linux, what's up? It'd been about 30 seconds, okay? He says, Dad, bubble gum is like candy, but it lasts forever. And I was like, well, it's been about 30 seconds, but yeah, that's about forever in a three-year-old brain. So yeah, like, yes, candy, bubble gum is like candy, but you just chew on it and it lasts forever. And so we're gonna give you guys some bubble gum when you leave here today, because my hope is this, my hope is this, is that we chew on the fact that God can just be chewed on more and more and more and more and he gets better and better and better and his goodness and his flavor, it just lasts forever and ever and ever. And as I chew on it, I start to look like him. He starts to be nutritious to me. He starts to meet me where I'm at. As I chew on him now, it's just more and more and more because I've chewed on him. And God is it, and he'll last forever, and I can just keep chewing on him. And we chew on him because he's good. So for our story, a doctor told us we couldn't have a baby. Well, I'm going to chew on whatever's pure and holy and righteous, and I'm just going to trust God. He's gonna be the bread of life that sustains me. He knows what I need. His, my steps are ordered according to his path 
And now here we are a year later in the face of a doctor's report with a little baby that's a miracle that no doctor can figure out how it happened, no doctor. But it's because we didn't bow down to say, this is God's plan for my life. No, I'm gonna chew on his goodness because God is it. And no matter what happens on this earth, he's it. And I'm just gonna chew on it more and more and more. What about Christian Old Church? 50 years as a church. Let's chew on the facts that God has been good for 50 years, that hundreds of people have come to know God here and experience supernatural miracles in this place. And we can run to him and say, it's not done now. I'm gonna chew on the fact that he's done it before and he's gonna keep doing it again. And he's gonna do it in my life and through my life and he's gonna do it and live Atlanta just like he's done it at Christian Renewal. And he wants to do it in you. As you chew on them, parts of your life are going to get the nutrients that you need to start to come alive. Psalms 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one that takes refuge. As you chew on them, your DNA, who you are, is going to become to look more and more like him. And some of you, there are dreams inside of you that have died because you've been chewing on the wrong thing. And as you start to chew on God's goodness and his holiness and his righteousness, there are going to be parts of you that you thought were dead that are now coming alive. And he's going to start to raise up inside of you a person who you don't even recognize because you're chewing on him. You're tasting and seeing that he is good and that his mercies endure forever and that it was never by might. It was never by power. It was never by goodness. It was always by him because God is it. And I'm going to chew on that the rest of my life forever and ever and ever. To know God is to enjoy him. To enjoy him is to become like him. When we become like him, we live like him. And the world around us will get to experience him because we chewed on the right thing. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear God, we just thank you, Lord, that you are good. I thank you, God, that right now in this place, Lord, some of us are making decisions to not listen to that report to not allow that sin to control us any longer, to not be distracted by the wrong things, God, but we are gonna chew on you. We're gonna chew on whatever's pure and holy and noble and trustworthy and good, Lord God, and that you're gonna revitalize us and we're gonna begin to look more and more like you. And I thank you, God, that right here in Brunswick, Georgia, there are people who are dying to see Christians who look like you. And I thank you that Christian Renewal Church will be filled with little Christians who have lived off the bread of Jesus. They have been sustained off the bread of Jesus, that their testimony is that you are good and you've met them over and over and over again. And that there's revival coming to this place because there are gonna be a couple hundred Christians who decide we're gonna chew on you. We're gonna be surrendered to you. We're gonna look like you and you're gonna bring to life things inside of us that we thought were dead so that the world around us can see and experience you. I thank you that right now there's supernatural miracles taking place inside of us, that there are sin addictions, that there are things that have tripped us up hundreds of times maybe that are coming apart right now because you are supernaturally breaking chains out of our life as we join with the supernatural power of you, Lord God. We're not gonna rely on any report but what you say. We're not gonna rely on what the media has to say about Brunswick, Georgia. We're not gonna rely on what the media says about America, Lord God, but we're gonna rely on you and you're gonna sustain us and redeem us because 
because as we run to you, the bread of life, Lord, you are giving us the nutrition we need to look and be like you. So I thank you that your presence is here and that you're transforming us to look more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.